Well, how about the praise band? Isn't that awesome? It's so good. We have an actual rotation now, like you have to wait your turn to get into the stage. This is an awesome problem to have, right? And it's only going to get better uh, when you come to the 4th of July and all these people flock in because I want to be a part of something so magnificent that, that magnifies God. So uh, I can't say thank you enough to all of y'all. That's Texan for use, Jimmy. Um, <laughs> I didn't even hear it. I wasted a perfect joke. All right. <laughs> he just was ignoring yous. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway. Uh, my name is Pastor Bill. Again, if uh, I haven't had the chance to meet you, I'd love to do so after the service. We are continuing our sermon series called Legacy. And legacy is about what we leave to that next generation. And oftentimes when I think legacy, I think like a bank account or a house or a car or, or some memorabilia or something like that. But all those things are temporary. What if there was something I could leave as a legacy that was permanent? Well, guess what? There is. And I guess you can't guess where I'm going with that, right? Here's where we've been. We talked about the path last week. We're talking about the stones this week, and then we're talking about freedom near the 4th of July weekend. Imagine that. So I want to start with a question today by show of hands. How many history buffs out there? History buffs? Let's unite afterwards and commiserate, shall we? Because here's my problem. I love history, especially military history. I don't know. As a kid, I was always, I went to the magazines that had like World War II stuff in it. I don't know why. I'm weird, okay? But this is my thing. And I love the stories. I don't like the facts. Like, I don't care what date someone did what. What I care about is the human interest story. What were they feeling? What were they up against? What were the odds? What courage was displayed? And, and what, what danger did they face? I love those stories. They made me come alive. Again, I said I'm weird, okay? But here's what you don't want to do with me. You do not want to go to the museum with me. Rana's shaking her head. She gets it. Because I will read every word of every plaque. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Hey, they found this little belt buckle on the battlefield. Really fascinating. <laughs> every word. Did you know? And, and I look around, and, and my kids and my, my wife are sitting on the bench going, you know, men, kind of like when you go shopping with them and we do the same thing, that same look, I get that. So you don't want to be uh, with me in that museum because I want every word. What fascinates me is it's a story that is created, stories of bravery, stories of courage. And it occurred to me that those stories are the things that propel us in times of danger or fear. Those stories are things that we can anchor to, that give us strength in times of trouble. If you don't believe me, I found a great quote. Whoever tells the best story shapes the culture. Now, you may be thinking, is that really true? Whoever tells the best story shapes the culture? Yeah, let me, let me give you one example. How is it that the military can take in people off the street who have, you know, okay, 17, 18 years old, what life experience do they really have, and turn them into something that will sacrifice themselves for an organization and for freedom? I tell you, it's the stories. Because every time you go on to a base or a post, you see the names of people who have gone before you. They name things after them. Uh, my personal goal in my Air Force career was to never have a building named after me. <laughs> so far, so good, right? But you see, oh, Pittsburgh Hall, well, what's that? Oh, well, that was a pararescue guy that, that jumped in to save an entire platoon and lost his life in the process. Yeah, good luck following that act. But the people who have gone before us, and these stories shape our culture. That culture shapes what we do. So the way I look at it is stories shape our culture. Culture shapes our future. Let me say that one more time. Stories shape our culture. Our culture shapes our future. Maybe you have, have experienced this. 
It may not be the military. Maybe, uh, maybe your family culture shaped you. I heard all about what Hogan men do and don't do growing up. I bet you did too. If you bear that family name, man, you better not be doing this. And you better be doing this. Anybody else have a family that shaped them that way? No, nobody's family shaped them? Okay, anybody else need counseling because of it? <laughs> hey, there we go, much more success, yes. You get what it is. Sometimes there's a profession that calls to you. Man, I wanted to be a, a firefighter because the stories that I hear of them burning, you know, run, rushing into burning buildings and saving people is, is amazing. I want to be a part of that culture. So the stories that we tell shape our culture and our culture shapes our future. God thinks this is so important that he had the people of Israel risk everything to tell a story. And God invested in this story as well. Now, last week we talked about them uh, coming. The, this is Joshua and the Israelites are approaching the Jordan River. And they come up to this big river. We talked about how they, uh, they got there and what they did. This week, we're going to talk about them uh, actually getting across the river. Because remember, this is the point of no return. Once you cross this river, there's no going back. You're committed 100%. There's no going back. And so the, the section that we'll read today is in chapter 4. If you want to follow along, and I'm going to ask Matt, if you would, uh, just advance the slides because I can't talk and click at the same time. I could, but you, yeah, anyway. So uh, chapter 4, verse 1 through 7, listen to the situation as they are finishing crossing up the Jordan. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. These are the words of God for the people of God, and for these words, we are grateful. Did you catch how important storytelling is to God? I mean, let me paint the stage and, and give you a little bit of the backstory and the emotion that must have gone into this river crossing. They, let, me, let me back up a couple slides, actually, because this, uh, I want to walk you through some of these verses here. When the whole nation had finished crossing. Now, understand from last week, the thing that stopped the Jordan was what? when the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant stepped into the water. Uh, backtrack for just a second. The Ark of the Covenant of God, that represented the presence of God to these people. This was by far their most valuable possession. If they didn't have this, they were done before they started. They were defeated before they even began. This is the most precious thing they have. And God says, tell the priest to step into the river, and then the river stops. Notice they're not waiting for the river to stop and go, okay, it's safe. Let's stand in the middle now. No, they set foot in the raging river, and then the water stopped. Now it gets better than that, because the priest carrying the ark had to stand in the middle of the Jordan to keep it stopped while the entire party crossed. And we're not talking like, you know, Hogan party of five. We're talking about Israel party of thousands. Right? So that's a long time to stand in a riverbed that you don't know how to stop, but man, you hope it lasts. 
right? And so you're thinking this whole time, if I'm Joshua, if I'm in charge of this mess and I'm responsible for everything, I'm thinking, hey, get out of there, get out of there, come on, come on, come on, come on. And then the whole nation finally gets across. Can you imagine the relief that Joshua must have felt? Whew, boy, I didn't blow that one. Oh, wait, let's send 12 guys back in to pick up stones while we're still standing in the middle of a dry riverbed that we hope stays dry. And they do. Why would they do that? Why would they have crossed the entire nation and then come back to get 12 rocks? Well, it's not the rocks. It's the story behind the rocks. See, those rocks were going to be a memorial. Those rocks were put out on the riverbed so that everybody who saw those rocks in the future would know. And here's the whole point of this whole thing when it says, to serve as a sign among you in the future when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? You tell them the story. You tell them what God did at the Jordan. You tell the impossibilities that you faced that God made possible and how the whole nation came across. And every time you see those stones, that story is retold. And you remember the God that you serve. And that builds confidence for the next time. Hey, if he did it before, he can do it again. Can he not? And that's where our faith comes from. And so those stories from those stones shaped the culture of Israel. And the culture of Israel shaped their entire future as they went on through the promised land. That story that shaped our culture continues to shape our future today but more to follow on that thought. I just want you to be aware of the power that stories have. Now, an interesting thing about stories as we get through this one, this is the memorial that they want them to remember. But here's the problem. It's static, right? If, if I want to recount that, that great story of the, the Jordan River, I have to take my kids over to the monument by the Jordan River so they can see it, and that reminds me to tell the story. How many people have seen the, the monument over by the, the Jordan? Show of hands. Yeah, actually, they don't know where it is, so it's really, really, really impossible, right? I mean, we know it happened. I have no doubt that it happened. And then they later uh, did an, uh, why is this word so hard? Altar. There we go. Yeah, you'd think a pastor could remember that. Well, they, they built an altar out of these stones and did some other things to, to help the remembrance at a worship site. Now, that's a little more I can buy into that because we can go to the church and we can see it every week. But what about Monday through Saturday when I don't see that? Do I remember that story? See, there's a problem with the way that we're communicating the story. The story is static, and the stones aren't quite adequate. So there must be a better way to remember to tell these stories that shape our culture, that shape our future. And here's a, an interesting quote I found as well. And I want to see uh, it, which way you lean on this. Are you team culture or team people? Do people shape culture? Or does the culture shape the people? Think about that for a second. Do people shape the culture? Or does the culture shape the people? Yes. <laughs> I'm a both-and kind of guy. I think it happens both ways. And here's the way that it happened in God's kingdom. He tried to create a culture. He said, here's what we do. These things called the Ten Commandments. This will be our culture. And these Ten Commandments will shape our people. And our people will do these things and not do these things and be a light to the world so that everybody can see. How'd that work out? Mm, eh, mm, not so good, right? Unless we throw stones. Oh, that's kind of funny. Uh, I didn't mean to say that. Unless we throw, <laughs> unless we throw stones at them and our ancestors, uh, realize that we're in the same boat, folks. 
said, I got to be honest with you. I, yeah, I'm a pastor. Yeah, I've been to seminary. Yeah, I have a degree. And Monday through Saturday and Sunday, I don't always get it right. I can't throw stones at those people because I am one of them. So culture was supposed to shape the people, but it failed. So then the people began to shape the culture. And what about that shapes the culture? How does that work the other way around? Well, people hear stories. People make stories. People tell stories. And some of those stories are so appealing, are they not? Some of the stories start really, really well. But here's the, here's the crux of the whole story thing. For Jesus followers, here's what we have to ask ourselves. How does that story end? Because the stories sound great. Hey, man, you don't have to do all that stuff. You just sell some drugs. You make some money. You buy a car. It's so awesome. Really? How does that story end? Hey, you don't have to follow all those rules. I know you're in this relationship that you just are not that happy with. Uh, you know, but there's this other person over here. If you were just with them, man, life would be so good. That story sounds so good, doesn't it? But how does that story end? You don't have to listen to God and, and follow his word. You can do whatever you want. That's freedom. That sounds awesome. But how does that story end? In eternal separation. How does that story end? See, this is the key question that we have to ask ourselves when it comes to story shaping culture and culture shaping future. How does that story end? And there's only one story that has the ending that we really want. I bet you can't guess what it is. <laughs> Hang on, more to follow. So I think it, it's both. Now, here's an interesting thing. This is the history of the stones. Oh, come on. I worked really hard on that. <laughs> At least a groan. Come on, Boone. <laughs> Throw something. Oh, okay, you're alive. Good. All right. <laughs> so here's an interesting thing about these stones. Now, before Joshua ever got to this point, this was decreed by Moses back in Deuteronomy 27. He said, when you cross into the promised land, you're going to take stones, and you're going to take them up, and you're going to build an altar, and you're going to plaster this altar. And when that plaster dries, you're going to write the words of these commands and this law on that altar so that people will forever remember the commands of God, and they will follow them. Sounds great, right? So then we fast forward a little bit in Jeremiah. Now, it, we know how this worked out. If, you, if you're familiar with Bible history, they crossed, they built the altar, uh, Joshua, you know, takes the promised land, you get into David and you get to Solomon, and then it kind of takes a little turn south. And what happens after Solomon? <laughs> Bad stuff. <laughs> that's, that's the best answer I've heard all day. Bad stuff. So the, this kingdom split. You get the north and the south. The north gets overrun. The south gets overrun. The people are taken into exile. And that's when the Jer uh, prophet Jeremiah has these words to say. Actually, God says this through Jeremiah. Because I think there's a realization on all parts that what we're trying is not working and will never work because, well, let's face it, we're human. So in Jeremiah 31, 31 and 33, this is where God is taking the words from the plaster of the altar and transplanting them somewhere else so that the story carries on. Listen to these words. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. 
I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. That's the new commandment that God is making. He's taking those words off the plaster of the altar and putting them onto our hearts, which is significant because now we are the memorial. We are the sign. We are the stones that tell the story. If you don't believe me, fast forward again to John 16. The way that he writes this on our minds and hearts is through the Savior, Jesus Christ. And as Jesus lives his life and he prepares to lead the disciples in John 16, 7, he basically says to the disciples, I have to go now so that the Spirit can come. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. What is the Spirit's job? It's to advocate, it's to remind us of everything and to teach us. It's to tell the story so that we can tell his story. See, now it makes more sense, doesn't it? This is the story of the stones. We are the stones. That's the point I'm trying to make. So if we are the stones that tell the story, there's probably some things that we should do. And the first one is, let's prepare our story. This is very biblical. I'm not making this up. Right here in 1 Peter 3, 15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. We're always to be prepared with the reason why we have hope. Anybody in here not need to spread a message of hope? Anybody not need hope? Look at the world, man, we need hope. And guess who the messengers are? I'm looking at them. And I am one of you. Flawed as it may be, we are the messengers of hope. So it behooves us to have a ready answer. Why do you have hope? What do you hope in? Like, Bill, I, did, I don't know. I don't really have an answer. Hey, guess what? <laughs> You're human. It's okay. But now that you know, let's make an answer. And let's have a ready answer. How does it start? It starts with the first line. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Like I said, there's a lot of stories out there. And they all sound good. The Bible says it this way. Uh, the, the, the beginning of the path may look good, but in the end it is death. That is a very rough translation. That's the new bill version, right? The path looks good at the start, but this ends in death. But if we put Christ as Lord in our hearts, then we're on the right path. If we revere Christ, in other words, his commands are written on my heart and I obey them not because I have to, but because I want to. That's what it means to write law in your heart. I, I, I understand and appreciate what he's done for me. I want to return that out of love not out of duty. That's what it means to have law written on our heart. That's the impact. Once we do that, then we will know that we have hope. Whatever it is that we're dealing with, he can do it again. He can turn calloused, cold hearts back into to hearts of living flesh. He can take dry bones and bring them back to life. He can take your cares and concerns and the burdens all. He can take them all. In fact, he encourages us to cast them on him. There's no need for us to carry all that weight. That's hope. That's the message that we have. Why do we say have a ready answer? Well, how many people are familiar with the term elevator spiel? Right? In business, you have an elevator spiel, right? So if you have a great idea that you want to pitch, 
you're supposed to be able to say that idea and why it's so compelling in the, the time it takes to get an elevator from one floor to the next, 30, 45 seconds, right? So here's my challenge, WordSurf. Make an elevator pitch that explains the hope that you have that's 45 seconds or less. I already know what the younger generation is going to do. Chat GPT. Make an elevator spiel. <laughs> hey, whatever. As long as it's accurate and true and you can own it, make your elevator spiel. Why is it so important to have an elevator spiel? Well, if you know anything about the business version of this, sometimes you have a very uh, narrow window of opportunity. Sometimes we have conversations with friends or they come into uh, situations that they're not familiar with. And for just the briefest of seconds, there's an opportunity to have a spiritual discussion. And if we're prepared, if we have our elevator spiel ready, that 30 or 45 seconds might open the door for a whole new lifestyle if we have it ready. Now, no pressure. It's not like, oh, uh, I failed to do that and God can't do anything in that situation. No, I don't want to put that pressure on you. But I do want to uh, invite you to an opportunity. What if you were the change agent in someone's life? What if you, in that 30 or 45 seconds, made a difference and introduced that person to Jesus Christ and that person now has hope? And these narrow windows of opportunity begin to open. And we tell the stories that shape our culture and we develop a culture that shapes our future. What if? Man, it's very possible. So here's my challenge for you. Not only do I want you to be an elevator spiel, I want you to practice the art of storytelling. And Bill, uh, I don't really have a story to tell. I bet you do. If you've had any trips around the sun and you have vocabulary, you have a story. Practice the art of storytelling. And, and practice amongst ourselves first if you want, if it makes you feel better. We all specialize in grace and forgiveness. If your story is terrible, I'll forgive you. <laughs> I might even help coach. And you can do the same, by the way. Bill, your sermon was terrible. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. <laughs> it makes me better, right? But practice this art of storytelling. You say, man, I don't have a story. Let's start with this story, this one that's written right here. This is the best story of all. In fact, it's been called the greatest story ever told. So if you don't have a story, pick up this one and start here. The other reason that some people, I think, don't feel that they have a story is that a lot of times, maybe we're not spirit-led. Maybe we're not leading spirit-led lives. That's where we get stories of hope, believe it or not. If you remember last time, uh, we talked about them making the decision to go, go across, and the instruction was, follow the ark. This is a way that you've never gone before. And yeah, it might be that they didn't know the geography, but what I think it means is actually follow God. Don't manipulate God. You know what I'm saying? I, so many times I, I try to shape God's will to, to work in my plan. What if I let my plan go and say, God, what's your will? I want to follow that. And it's, let me tell you, it's never comfortable. It's rarely easy. Sometimes it's downright hard. And we have to give up a lot. But the bottom line is, if I follow the Spirit with courage with dedication, and mostly with love. I will see amazing things happen. We talked about that last week. It's still true. But our lives have to be spirit-led. It will lead you to take risks. Ooh, there's a word we don't like in church. It will lead you to go outside your comfort zone. Oh, we hate that. 
You think Jesus went outside his comfort zone? You think anybody whose name is mentioned here in a positive light went outside their comfort zone? Do you think they were challenged? But do you think they had a story to tell? Absolutely. They had the greatest story ever told. Let me rephrase that. Greatest story ever being told because the story continues. So here's some great, uh, the greatest question in four parts. So if stories shape culture and culture shapes the future and we have the greatest story ever told, shouldn't our culture and our future be the greatest? And why isn't it? Well, it might be because we're not telling the story. It might be because we've never thought about the hope that we have. Maybe we take it for granted. Maybe we don't have an elevator spiel. Maybe we aren't able to articulate this story. Well, today that all changes, Lord, sir. Here's your challenge, your invitation to an opportunity. Let's tell the story. In fact, will you become the stones that tell the story? That's the question of the day. And I know the greatest answer of all from the greatest story ever told. And I look forward to seeing stones tell stories. Will you pray with me, please? God, thank you for inviting us into the greatest story ever being told. God, forgive us uh, when we try to tell our own stories. Forgive us when we're distracted by the stories of this world that sound good, but don't end well. God, we know that you have gone to great measure to send your son Jesus, his death on the cross, his resurrection and life, to give us a story that never ends. The story that was the story you designed, where we would be in your presence for an eternity, where there would be no death, no sorrow, no fear, no disease. Now, that is your ultimate story. God, I pray that we would reawaken our souls today, that we would no, lo no longer take for granted the hope that we have, that we would not apologize for having the greatest story ever told, that we would not tell the story in fear and trembling, but in hope and strength. God, help us to see you clearly. Help the story to come alive in our hearts as it jumps off these pages and comes through our lives. Let the greatest story ever being told be our lives as you live through us. And then may the world know you for who you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.